Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. Well, today I am interviewing a wonderful person. Her name is Agape Garcia. Now, Agape has an interesting acronym that she describes and she will talk about in this interview. It's called Be Your Incredible Self, or what she calls B-Y-I-S. And that really best describes her tenacious attitude toward empowering others. Garcia, over the past 35 years, has navigated through domestic violence, privacy, safety, vulnerability, and the mindset to endure personal adverse events in life. Her survival of a double attempted homicide while eight months pregnant, and this was by the father, by the way, and the desperation to survive became the catalyst to the foundation of BYIS while achieving an undisputed outlook of independence. Now, during her journey to overcome, Garcia learned that extreme independence is a trauma-driven response and a natural one, which can be defeated through focused self-awareness and intentional control. Now, her personal journey of post-traumatic growth has led Garcia to dedicating her life in developing transformational programs, various forms of coaching, certification courses, and establishing a nonprofit to help real-time victims. She's received the mayoral appointment to work with the Citizen Review Board in direct conjunction with Internal Affairs. She received hands-on training from the Sheriff's Department, Department of Homeland Security, and FEMA, which also led to the Infrastructure Liaison Officer designation, or ILO, through the local law enforcement center. Now, Garcia has spent more than 20 years in the corporate world, holding positions in office administration, project management, compliance, policy writing, team building, training, leadership, and consulting. She continued to serve other organizations, including the American Society for Industrial Security, or ASIS, Board of Directors, and holds a current membership in the FBI Vetted Private Sector Program of InfraGuard. Wow. Agape Garcia, welcome to Phoenix and Flame. Well, thank you for having me here. (laughs) That is quite a story, and there's a lot that I didn't put into your interview because it was so much information, and I wanted really to give you some time to kind of go back and share with my listeners some of the twists and turns that brought you to where you are today. (laughs) Well, everything that you cannot control is what got me there today. (laughs) I mean, at, at the end of the day, there's only one thing and one person that you have most control over, and that is yourself. And sometimes unfortunate circumstances or, you know, series of events lands you in places that you weren't even considering or thinking about. And that is very much so my case. You know, I really, 
talk about and hone in on post-traumatic growth. Not a lot of people have even heard of PTG. Everybody is familiar with PS, PTSD, excuse me. And mm-hmm. not just is everybody aware of PTSD. So many of us have different forms of it. We carry it with us and we're very clear on the, on the effects that it has on us been around for so long and you know mentally emotionally physically financially your economically your environment i mean everything right kind of falls everything yep under that ptsd umbrella and so not blaming anybody for not knowing ptg i mean excuse me if this is a little off color but you know we have the medical system in place for a reason they want to prescribe right So when you have a disease or something that can be diagnosed, then I guess we can, you know, give the drugs, right? But when we're talking about things that are not prescription required, that actually can be worked through within self, those things are not brought to the surface as much. So Dr. Tadechi, if I'm, I hope I'm saying it right, Dr. Tadechi and Dr. Calhoun in the early 90s are two psychologists that actually identified and came up with post-traumatic growth and post-traumatic growth is a physiological change. It's a positive one that can occur, you know, after experiencing a traumatic event or life crisis, in my opinion, life crisis and traumatic event is very parallel to one another. And it's, it's a form of personal growth that anybody, anybody can go through. It's not only about how you cope with the trauma, it's also how you emerge from the trauma, stronger, wiser, more aware. And it's just something that, again, people may not really know about or understand that even exists. And the unfortunate part is that a lot of it is actually instinctual. Well, and you know, you, you had a, a good point earlier because I'm a psychotherapist and I see patients with the, with PTSD and anxiety issues and that kind of thing. So many people do absolutely, like you're saying, they get stuck with the PTSD part, but they they have to be able to move forward. And I like the way that you're really emphasizing the growth of what happens to someone beyond to, so that they don't define themselves, I'm the traumatized one, I'm the one that this happened to, or I'm the one that that happened to, to be able to honor that and say, yes, that was absolutely horrible what happened, but where do you want to go from here? And that's what I hear you saying in the post-traumatic growth. That just sounds absolutely fabulous. Here's something else that's really interesting. If you take someone who is in that place space that's saying gosh i have ptsd and i just can't get over you know if you if you find someone like that and you put them in a room with someone else who's going through the same thing but they're looking for help you'll see how quick that person that was talking about being stuck in that mindset is ready to jump in and help the other person and it's like Mm. okay so you have this passion because you have this connection and now you're like, yes, somebody understands me. Okay. You know what? I understand you too. Let me talk to you about some things that are working for me. You genuinely want to help. Right. And it's so interesting how you could be in this stuck space, but yet you're so willing and able to help somebody else. And the advice that you're giving is spot on, but you're not following it. You're just giving it right. Mm-hmm. So right then and there, that tells me and that person, okay, you have it in you because you know, you obviously have the intelligence and the wisdom and the experience. That's why you're sharing it and talking to somebody else about it. 
So then it's getting them to that next step of how, okay, so what do you need in order to apply? What are the tools that you absolutely need in order to apply? What you yourself are saying and sharing to help somebody else. You know, as I'm listening to you talk and you seem so full of, of wisdom and passion because of the experiences and the traumas that you've gone through, I'm remembering back of some of the information that was in your bio. And I'm thinking to go all the way from this double attempted homicide while you were eight months pregnant to everything that you accomplished past that is just amazing. I'm really interested in how... How did you do that? What was your, because I'm thinking, you know, listeners that might be listening to you right now, they might be at that position where they've just gone through some horrible trauma and they're really wondering, oh my gosh, how did Agape get all the way from that to accomplishing everything that she did? What were the steps? What was most helpful to her? Okay. So the double attempted homicide was 20 years ago. So what you read Mm -hmm. was 20 years worth of surviving and trying to be a laser focused mother bear that was protecting and providing right for her children because I was all that they had. And I will have to say, you know, before I get into the steps that I took or how that happened, I will have to say that I believe strongly that the reason I had the ability to do what I did when to survive that double attempted homicide had so much to do with my childhood. And I'll say that I believe that I was born into trauma. I believe that I was a part of gestational trauma. You know, when my mom was pregnant with me, she went through so much. And, you know, when I was two, she left. She left the environment that she couldn't take. And she left me in that same environment. And it was not just me. It was me and and my little sister. And shortly after she left... My little sister had developed cancer. And back then we're talking, you know, 40 some years ago, back then there wasn't as much, you know, research and and remedial things to help with that. And so, you know, she passed away within a year. So I was three at the time and she was two. And so overnight, I didn't even realize that every single void a person could possibly have, I quickly inherited. So my, my dad lost his wife, lost his baby girl, and then he stuck looking at me. And so he decided, or I don't want to, I believe it was a choice when looking back, you know, there was no such thing as mental health and all these different um, resources to help with, you know, these things. It's just people knew how to cope. However, they were raised by their parents, how to cope. Right. So we're talking Mm -hmm. generational again, you know, learnings. What he ended up doing was he ended up working third shift and sleeping all day. So then this way he was still being a responsible parent, but not a present parent. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. um, He provided a roof over my head and that's what in his eyes, that's all I needed. So while Mm -hmm. he's working third shift, that's where he's eating. That's where he's drinking. That's where he's having his social life. You know, I had to wake him up when I was going to bed so he could get to work on time. By the time the alarm went off for me in the morning, he was still not home. So it was just me. So, so many nights and mornings I'm going to sleep crying my tail off because it's so quiet. It's extremely loud, you know, no pets. It's just me. And so at an early age, I learned how to mitigate that feeling of such loneliness and such sadness. And I can't say that 
I mitigated it 100%. I did what I felt at this little teeny tiny innocent age. <laughs> I figured out, yeah. you know, what, what are my opportunities? What are my options? And I'll tell you what, I was in every single after school program that was available. After the after school program, I went to whatever program was available at the park. <laughs> and, and on those days that either one wasn't available, I would go to the cemetery and spend time with my sister because it was closer to the school than where I lived. It was literally blocks away opposed to a mile away. So I would spend so much time at the cemetery doing homework, bonding, talking, feeling like I had a connection. That was the only place. And wow. so you were so resilient. I mean, amazingly resilient. And at such a small age, I didn't at such a small age. And that's where I was saying earlier that I believe that so, so much of this is instinct. So much of it is instinct because nobody taught me that. Nobody taught me how to no. fill in the gaps. Nobody taught me what to do to avoid the negative environment or that lonely space in my head and my heart. And, and I'm a little girl looking to be mm -hmm. nurtured, looking mm -hmm. to be accepted, looking to be loved. And the streets, I was born and raised in Chicago. You know, what you don't learn in, at home, the streets will teach you. You know, it's a very well-known yeah. comment. <laughs> and, yes. you know, I would say by fourth, fifth, sixth grade, I'm washing cars. I'm watching little kids so the mom could cook or take a shower. I'm cleaning houses. I'm pulling weeds. I'm mowing lawns. So I could go to the store and buy food and buy things that a girl needs, you know? Wow. You are amazingly industrious. That just, that's amazing. I mean, wow. For you to do that, you think of so many you know, people in the similar situations might have children, you know, they might have just languished and ended up who knows where, but you, there was something about you. You were able to pull yourself up and, and then reach out and look for opportunities and make money to, you were having to provide for yourself when you were in elementary school. Yes. Yes. And don't get me wrong. There was that other side of me that was town boy. Cause you know, I just, I only had my dad. Um, his extracurricular activity was karate and he got to practice on me when he got home. And so, mm. you know, there was some of that too rough house of playing around that resulted in people calling DCFS and them coming to my place every year, almost for about eight years straight. And um, so that didn't make me a punk. I was okay if we had something to hash out, you know, outside. And plus during grammar school, you know, boys and girls are the same, you know, height and weight. So fighting isn't, you know, that big of a difference <laughs> when right. you're young, you know? So, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't afraid neither. I was out there at this young age. I'm not only building a work ethic, I'm also learning the neighborhood. I'm learning how to get around. I'm learning, I'm meeting new people. I'm meeting so many people because I'm never home. And so I would have to say that during the, the, the teenage years, you know, everybody knows that's like the worst time ever. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, I'm, I swear up and down, I know everything. I, I, I know how to work. I know how to get through the neighborhood. I'm stealing my dad's car at the time, you know, he's sleeping. So I, I have full access. So I'm teaching myself. That's right. Yeah. So I'm teaching myself how to drive by myself and like, freshman year, eighth, eighth grade, freshman year of high school. Okay. Wow. You know, this, what you're sharing lends a whole new light to what you were saying, what was in your bio about extreme independence. I mean, even before that stuff happened later when you were an adult, 
all of this, your childhood was a, was like a landscape where you, you had to be extremely independent to survive. There was no choice. There was no choice. That's right. No, that's right. Well, that was amazing. And that's why I'm saying it's still like, it's so instinctive when you are at that place. And, you know, I've thought about it several times and wondered, was it survival or was it desperation or is it both? Can it be fair? Right. You know? Yes. So anyways, like I said, you know, I grew up in Chicago. So even back then it was not the best of neighborhoods at all. I don't think it ever was. It definitely is not still. (laughs) I ran the streets a whole lot more in, in my high school years, in my teenage years. I can't even say high school years because I dropped out as a sophomore in high school. Dropped out. Okay. Okay. Because I felt that I should not be held in an institution when I am at this place where I already know how to work and I'm already making money and I'm feeding myself. I just want to like get out and have my own place because I don't Mm want to feel like I'm responsible for a grown adult anymore. Right. And so it would have been easier for you to be alone (laughs) in some ways, you know, as a teenager, that's what I was thinking. But looking back, I'm like, are you kidding? Rent was paid, (laughs) you know? Oh yeah. There is that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I ended up meeting, you know, this boy, I will say a boy. I met this boy when I was, you know, 15 and, you know, he was my first true love and, it was violent. It was teen violence. Oh my gosh, we fought so much. And, you know, to me, it was normal because I was getting that from my dad, mm-hmm. you know, so much throughout my life. That's right. And that's what was outside my door all the time. You know, fights at school, fights on the street, fights walking home, whatever. It's just the norm. I didn't know any different. That was the norm. Yeah. That's right. I was 17 and pregnant. And when I was uh, about eight months pregnant with my, with my first child, uh, we had got into a pretty bad fight and I ended up going to ER and having to wear a heart monitor the rest of my pregnancy to the point where I ended up having a, a minor surgery uh, about a year after she was born. It was a lot. I, I knew that night that we had got into that scuffle that this was not going to be my life. This is not what I was going to bring my daughter into. This was not the world for her. I was not going to repeat any patterns that my mother created. I was not going to create any patterns that my father created. I was going to be a checked in mother, a very present mother, a mother that was not going to tolerate this type of BS in my environment, nor in her world. And so I was very adamant about that. I was very vocal about that. And, you know, things died down for quite some time. And after I had her, it was like it picked right back up. And, you know, I would have to say also that her dad decided to turn to the streets after she was born. We were together because that was a big thing for me, even though we lived in the in the hood and there was gangbangers on every corner and different things you could get into at any given time of the day and night. I was not going to deal with somebody who was about the streets because I don't have to want to worry about what neighborhood am I walking to when I'm trying to go to the store or go to school or go pick up my daughter or go to a doctor's appointment. I am not going to be marked. Not me, not my car, not anything especially because of somebody else and making their poor decisions on their livelihood. When he decided to turn to the streets, which was about three months after three to six months after my, after our daughter was born, I packed my stuff and I left and I didn't leave my baby behind. I took her with me and we ended up moving into a cold basement, brick walls, cement floor, no heat, 
I didn't care. I got a remnants carpet. I had a crib. I had dressers. I had a day bed and I bought space heaters. There was a bathroom down there. Thank goodness. <laughs> you were going to make this happen. Make it was going to happen. That's right. And we did. And we did. I have pictures to like act that I can show. I should probably do that. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, like our, our clothes are hanging on the pipes, you know, on, on the, in the basement. That's right. Hey, that works. That works. That's right. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, to me, it was about the peace. You know, I, I just knew what I was not going to do. I may not have known who I was or, you know, where I was going. I just knew who I wasn't and where I wasn't going. And that's one thing that I press on heavily as well with people that may feel like they're not quite sure, you know, they're struggling with their identity or struggling with where they're, you know, supposed to be going or what they're supposed to be doing. And if you're in that tight of a back and forth in your head as to, you know, where is it that you're supposed to be going or doing or having or sharing, maybe focus on what you shouldn't be. Then this way you're still having awareness on either side. And when you're walking, when you're in your walk and your day-to-day -day talk, you're aware if you're slipping into what you're saying, you're not doing. I like that because sometimes we have a hard time figuring out where we're going. You know, it's a long, long journey. And sometimes we have this feel of where we want to go, but we don't really know where that is or how to get there. But we can identify what we don't want or who we don't want to be, who we don't want to hang around with. So that's that's really a very, very wise piece of information, piece of advice for people. It's like, if you don't know where you want to go, do you know where you don't want to go? Right. 100%. That, that helps you. Yeah. That gives you direction. Yeah. And, and as soon as you have that awareness, you start having more control, right? Because I'm going to go mm. back to what I said in the beginning. You can only control yourself <laughs> and nothing else. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know? And so even for those long-term goals, cut those back. Just have, have a weekly goal. Like on a Sunday, think about what you want to have done by Friday. Start with Friday. And then when you say, okay, this is where I want to be by Friday, then work your way backwards to see, you know, what little, what little nuggets you can put in each and every day to get to that goal on Friday. And it's okay if you don't have every single thing scratched off. If you have two or three or four, it's a celebration. You're getting closer. Oh, a hundred percent. I love it. I love what you're saying. The small goals, because people get overwhelmed. I'm, oh my gosh. How am I going to do all this? How am I going to accomplish all this? And they just get topsy-turvy. But if, if they'll do like you're saying, so, okay, don't worry about a month from now. Don't worry about two months from now. How do you want to be different five days from now? Or maybe even tomorrow? You know, is there something you can do today that you're at least one small step more toward your goal than you were yesterday? Then that's, like you said, a reason to celebrate. That's right. Movement in a, in a positive direction. That's right. That's awesome. That's right. And- you know, not, not to not give up too much of what I offer in my program, but there's, I'm going to give, I'm going to share two other things that, that come with that, okay. you know, while you're planning just that week, you know, make sure that you have your non-negotiables in there. What are you absolutely not going to allow to happen? Because you know what your distractions are. You know who your distractions are. You know what you create as your own distractions. You know? Yeah. And if you want to meet those, you know, week end goals, then make sure that you have your non-negotiables for those items that's going to pull you and prevent you from, from meeting them. And the other thing is that every single day that you're getting ready for the day, know that that's your blank sheet of, 
of paper for the day that you get to, you know, document and create your journey on and look at yourself in the mirror. Do mirror work. I'm so big on mirror work. Look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself it's okay. You're, you deserve to be loved and you got this today. You're going to make this happen. And you saying it two, like three, that. four times throughout the day. I don't know what your current relationship is with the mirror, but if it's not a good one, fix that because that's you. That's it. And like you said, you're the only one that you can do anything about. You can't, you might wish that other people would behave differently towards you and maybe they should, but you can't control any of that. That's right. And But if, you can't control yourself. That's right. That's absolutely right. If you're talking to yourself in a way you would not allow anybody else to talk to you, or if you're talking to yourself in a way that you would never talk to somebody that you love, then you already know you're not talking to yourself right. And that, that to me, that's, that's the first thing that right. you check. That's how you check yourself first. <laughs> you know? And yes. From there. That's a good one. So, Like, yeah. I mean, would you say what you're saying to yourself, what you're saying in the mirror, would you say it to a, a good friend of yours? Yeah. Yeah. If you wouldn't, then maybe you need to, like you said, check yourself. Yeah. And change that up. So I'll fast forward to adult life in my 20s. I'll say um, around. So in my early 20s, I'll go to my mid 20s. Around my mid 20s, I had already try to reconcile with my mother. I, because my, when my daughter turned two, I was like, oh my gosh, how could somebody leave such a beautiful, loving, heartwarming, like, let me call her, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let, me, let me just let her know. I forgive her for being weak. Let me let her know. I forgive her for not having the strength to take her children out of the environment that she herself could not bear and left behind. Let me just let her know that. Because I will never do that. And I'm so thankful that she did that because now I know who I'm not going to be. If she didn't do mm. what she did, I wouldn't know what my non-negotiables were at such a young age. Right? Yep. Even though it was yes. teenage pregnancy and all that drama, whatever. So she did not want to have much to do with that reconciliation whatsoever. <laughs> mm. Not anything. Her loss. Yeah, pretty much, um, because she still doesn't mm -hmm. even know her grandkids. And there's two of them, and they're over 20, whatever. Um, she stayed true to who she was, and I appreciate that, to be honest with you, because then it doesn't leave any room for expectation for me. Of course, I went yes. through my roller coaster rides of having the expectation, thinking that as you grow, you mature. Maybe you feel guilty about stuff you did in your past. Maybe you want to you know, reconcile that or you know, do better to have better. And that just wasn't the case for her. And again... You know, I can't control that. I cannot. I can only control how I respond or react or absorb that. So I had my daughter. My heart was filled. I was good. I kept pushing along. And so, you know, I did go through quite a bit in the first five years of, you know, my daughter's um, life because I also went back to get my GED. You know, her dad ended up leaving the States because he got into trouble on the streets. Like I figured it's a no brainer when you turn to that lifestyle, you either there's only two ways mm -hmm. out dead or, yeah. <laughs> you know, he had left the States and, you know, his mom helped me because, you know, my mother was not in the picture, you know, that, that was pretty traumatic for me because she was successful in brainwashing me, how I don't know how to be a mother. Cause I didn't have a mother. I didn't have any kids. So I didn't know what every cry was going to be for, you know, she had five. So she knew so much. Nobody's going to love her. Like the grandmother loves her, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I fell for the okie doke. I'm working full time. I'm supporting everything. And I'm also paying her by the yes. way. 
And then I'm going back for my GED. So in my brain, I'm thinking, okay, wow, I have a true support system. She really cares, you know, this and that. It ended up becoming this like obsessive thing where she, she really thought her granddaughter was her actual daughter, where I had to call the police to get my own daughter back. And then when I changed, you know, like daycare centers or babysitters, she would end up showing up and fighting with those people and causing drama at the place, you know, where these other children were. And then, of course, you know, I get kicked out and then I have nowhere to go. So I had to go back to resorting to her for help. And oh, my gosh, so much drama. So I knew. Bless your heart. So then I knew I have got to really get out of this neighborhood. I have got to separate myself from everything that I know here. And I've got to start migrating out because this is not going to be my life. This is not going to be my daughter's life. I can't believe that some at, at one point, like we're sitting here playing tug of war with the baby. Like we're literally both yeah, trying to yeah. pull. I said, oh my gosh, this is not it. So... I ended up getting my GED. I pursued my associate's degree. I'm, I'm pursuing my bachelor's degree. I'm, I moved out of the neighborhood. I'm now in this space where, you know, the school is right across the street where my daughter's going to. My job is three blocks to the west and my, my, my babysitter is three blocks to the east. So even if my car breaks down, she's not going to miss school. I'm not going to get miss work. We're going to be okay. I got this. <laughs> like, there's no way. And um, the, I, I just want to take a moment and say how impressive this is. I, you you lived this, and I'm sure you probably have told this story quite a few times, but this is the first time I've heard it. And this, it's just blowing my mind what you were able to do. I mean, everything that you, you're, the way you started as a child and then dealing with the baby daddy's mom, the grandmother, and it's just like, and what she was trying to do. And you went back and in spite of all of this drama going on and trying to support your, your kids, you got a GED, got associates, get, get, trying to get bachelors. I mean, that is an incredible amount of responsibility and stress that you were able to do. I mean, I think we just need to pause for just a moment and think, oh my gosh, that is, that was amazing. Flat out amazing. There's so many people that could no, could not, not, not do that. Wow. And thank you for acknowledging that and for saying that. And that's where I go back to when you don't have anything and everything that you want to do falls on you, then that's where that choice comes in. Because what what's the fork at the road? What's the decision to make? Do something or do nothing? Because both are a decision. Mm-hmm. Doing nothing is a decision. Yes, it is. Right. Yes, it is. So mm-hmm. I would say, and, and, and we're going to go a little off topic here because what you're saying, what you're bringing up is reminding me of, you know, when I see stories where people are saying, I'm in this abusive relationship and I can't believe it. I have nowhere to go. I, I just, I, I'm stuck. And, you know, and I'm saying to myself, do you have a car? Because that, that's number one. Do you have a car? Because you could, you could go to your car and you could drive. You go to your car and you can, I've slept in my car with my kids because I, because I had to, or because I couldn't go to where I was going or because I didn't want to be in that particular environment. There's always somewhere or something that you have control over doing. I'm not saying go pitch a tent and go sleep on the sidewalk. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if you have family, if you have friends, then you are not 100% literally stuck. You're not. And no matter how 
much you go to any kind of doctor. I don't care if it's your primary, if it's your dentist, if it's your psychiatrist, if it's your co- it doesn't matter where you go to get help. At the end of the day, it's what you're doing, how you're applying, what you're taking action towards. So you can get mm-hmm. all the greatness in the world, but if you're not picking yourself up, nobody is going to pick you up. So mm-hmm. that goes back to that choice. You do something or you do nothing. And it doesn't have to be this extravagant thing that you're doing to make a change tomorrow. It's you're doing something small today to get to where you are trying to either get out of. Again, if you don't know where you're going, at least you know where you're not going. And I yes. and I will have to say that probably is what did it for me even as that tiny little girl. I didn't know what the heck I was doing or where I was going. I just knew where I didn't want to be and where I didn't want to go. And therefore I found things, right? Back to in my 20s now where I'm out the hood and I'm, you know, got the support <laughs> system going on. And, you know, I'm literally like, I'm in corporate world. I'm doing good. I'm paying all my bills on my own. I'm, I'm off this. I'm, you know, I'm no longer receiving food stamps. I'm no longer dealing with the drama of the grandmother. I'm everything straight. You couldn't tell me anything. I, I forgave my mother. I'm living <laughs> free from that. My sister, of course, we would still go to the cemetery. I mean, I gave, I gave my daughter her middle, her, my daughter's middle name is, you know, what my sister's name was. So it's just, I just felt fulfilled in every, in every area. You could not tell me I was not on top of the world <laughs> in my early twenties. So I cannot say that I had like absolute plans. I just knew that I was moving ahead and moving forward because I was the sole provider and I did not ever want to go back to where I came from, nor give that environment to my baby. So I'm like 25 and I meet, I meet a gentleman. Uh, We start dating, you know, things get a little serious and I'm pregnant. (laughs) Yep. So at 27, now I'm at 27, starting a new life, starting a new family and when I was three months pregnant, not only was I diagnosed with chicken pox, but he was also offered a position across the states. So that was now on my table. Okay, what do I want to do? We're not married. We're dating serious. Now we're having a family. You know, what is it that we want to do? And so, you know, getting out of the neighborhood is a success story all in itself when you come from the neighborhood. So I was like, yeah. okay, I'm just 30 minutes outside of the city. Let's let's do this, you know, not a problem. So he went first um, and it was important because, you know, I was in school, my daughter's in school, I'm working full time. I had a lot of stuff I needed to kind of close out and needed time to close out. And so I flew out a couple times to, you know, check out the neighborhoods to see where do we want to live, et cetera. Everything went as planned. He went first, he got the place, he, he settled in himself. And then at about seven months pregnant was when I drove out. I um, packed all my stuff, put it in like the uh, door-to-door storage. So it was going to be quite a few weeks before my items arrived, which was fine. I had enough that packed in my car, no problem. So it took about two and a half days to get to our destination. I was super excited. Uh, we had one day of, tr- of like downtime before I was putting my daughter into school. So she didn't even miss a day of school, okay? <laughs> wow. And, um, wow. Yeah. And so I got her in school and I'm learning the neighborhood. My focus was, you know, taking care of the kitchen and learning the layout of the land, getting to know my doctors and whatnot. 
So three weeks later, my items arrive, and in such excitement, I am blasting the music. My daughter's in school. He's at work. I get to find a place for all my stuff and get ready for <laughs> nesting and getting stuff for the baby and all that excitement, you know? So I'm putting stuff away, and I come across remnants of another woman. Oh, and my. Uh, yes, my eyeballs are out of my face. My heart is out of my chest. My mind is running rampant, and I'm like, okay, okay. Did he tell me he had family over? Did he have friends? Did he have visitors? Why would this stuff be here even if they did? Why wouldn't it have been returned? This kind of seems like it was – it just didn't seem right. It was underneath the bathroom sink all the way in the back, you know? And I'm like, mm -hmm. all right. So I'm tortured all day, tortured. And so I said, let me just do everything normally, and I'm going to talk about it tonight. So I pick up my daughter from school, you know, dinner, homework, clean up, bath, bed, etc. About 10, 30-ish, I said, uh, I said, hey, you know what? I want to talk to you about something. Um, as, I, as I was unpacking today, I came across remnants of another woman and I would like to know what is this about because I'm thinking you know you didn't tell me you had company you didn't tell me you had visitors and I just left everything behind and he said you were going through my stuff I said oh no I was not going through your stuff this is the bathroom that we share and I'm putting my stuff away and I came across and before I could even finish saying what I was saying I was on the floor he was sitting on my stomach he had his left hand around my neck and his right hand with a closed fist punching me over and over again in my head and I'm I know I'm squirming around I don't know what kind of noises I'm making I have no idea I just I was just devastated I guess and then I hear this voice mom mom oh wow and I know that this I remember clearly my eyes opened and I said that's my daughter and when I said that this big rush gush of heat and adrenaline like flashed through my body my feet slammed on the floor my hips are thrusting towards the ceiling my neck is used as a kickstand he goes he, he like not catapults but he rolls he's like flung off of me towards you know my head by the time I get up which I don't even know how in the world I got up I just like literally popped up but I run around the side of the, the back end of the couch. My daughter's already at the bottom of the stairs. I grab her hand and we run out the door just like that. PJs barefoot, 11 o'clock at night, like that. As soon as I saw the first apartment that had their, you know, lights on, I, can, I need to use your phone. Can you please let me in? You know, here's this big pregnant woman with a little girl <laughs> crying her eyes out asking for oh, the phone. Oh, goodness. I woke up the whole house, and thank goodness there was kids there. I was like, can you please just let the kids go over there? I just need to use the phone, you know. I'm crying, I'm crying. I cannot even think straight. I'm just like, is this my reality? I'm completely devastated. I have nothing. I have nowhere to go, no friends, no family. I don't even know the neighborhood like that. I have only been here three weeks. Are you kidding me? You have got to be kidding me. This is not happening. So that was just the beginning of my survival and my fight from this from this double attempted homicide. I ended up going home that night because I was told I think I ended up going home that night not knowing if he was going to be released or not because in Chicago something like that could happen and you're coming home in a couple hours. I had mm -hmm. no idea mm -hmm. the state laws, no idea anything. I'm brand spanking new. And I didn't think I had to right. uh, research that before I left, you know. 
I did not get any sleep that night. Obviously I barricaded the door with anything and everything I could possibly, you know, move in front of that. I spent the whole night researching, you know, what should I expect? What's going to happen? What are the laws? I just, I did not sleep. I took my daughter to school the next day, like clockwork. I knew in my head, I needed her to stay a child. She it has to stay out as much outside of this, you know, trauma as possible, because I don't want this to be something that traumatizes her for the rest of her life. And so what I ended up doing when I took her to school, I checked myself into ER so I could check on my unborn child to make sure that there was nothing wrong with him. And of course, definitely deemed high risk. Um, the baby was okay. Thank goodness. And I, the doctor said, you cannot go anywhere. You're high risk. You have one month left until this baby is coming out. You cannot fly. You cannot drive home. You have to stay nearby. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Wait a second. I don't even understand what you're saying. Like, I I have to stay here? And then I'm thinking to myself, okay, fine. If I have to stay here, that means it would be stupid for me to go back to where we both came from. We both have family. We both have friends. We both have mutual people that we know. Why would I go back to the place where he would be able to then find me later or get to me later or I don't know. I don't, I didn't even know who this person was anymore. Obviously he has the capability of dang near killing us. So I have no idea who this is. Is this even a person? All of that's out the door. So right. being stuck for real, for real, that's being stuck for real, for real. Okay. I'm here to tell you that if you need shelter today, you're not going to get it. If you need food stamps today, you're not going to get it. If you need money today, you're not going to get it. If you need medical assistance today, you're not going to get it. You got to stand in that line. You got to fill out that application. You have to go through extensive interviews. You have to wait to get called. I mean, honey, my phone was turned off. My electricity was turned off with food in the fridge and the freezer after I did a big, you know, grocery to plan ahead. I mean, I went through it. I ended up. Where did you go? Oh, huh. Let me tell you where I went. I went straight to the leasing office with the with the restraining order, straight to the leasing office with the police report, straight to the release to the leasing office with all the information showing that I needed to be taken off of the lease. So that was successful. I was able to take all that paperwork, go down to the leasing office and get my name off the lease and just keep his on there. So that bought me time. <laughs> That bought me time. And not only did, oh. did that, I don't, I don't want to say opportunity, but not only did that buy me time, what also bought me time was getting in touch with the police department, finding out what was going to happen. How long was he going to stay? When was his court date? How can I testify? What do I need to do? What's my role? Because now remember, I only have four weeks from the time that incident happened, four weeks before I was going to have my baby. Okay. And that's because I was able to talk the doctors into ha giving me a C-section before the actual due date because of how much stress I was in. You know, this is, I just can't, the stuff that you've had to go through is amazing to me. And how, how far you've come is such a testament to who you are as a person and your, your resilience and your solution focused mind to just keep going forward and keep trying to look for answers. There's a, there's something that you included in some of your information that I wanted to 
see how you felt like it applied to what you're describing now. And you said that part of your BYIS, which is Be Your Incredible Self formula, is how to combine situational awareness with emotional intelligence to control your triggers. Because clearly from what you're describing, there was a lot of triggers created because I've talked to quite a few people, you know, over the years who've been through some really harsh things that, that you're describing that leave scars, that leave triggers. And so what are your feelings and thoughts about the BYIS formula in combining this situational awareness with emotional intelligence to control the triggers so that you, you clearly were able to do that so well because you came forward in life and accomplished so much. So what is your feedback on that for the listeners that are thinking, how do you, what is the situational awareness and emotional intelligence and how do you combine those to control triggers? Okay. So I will give you the real example. Well, both of them are real examples. So that night that, I heard my daughter's voice, right? When I opened my eyes and that Mm -hmm. adrenaline came through, it was an automatic thing. And I believe that we all have that as well. I do believe that it's instinctive because I had no time to think. I was just Mm -hmm. in the moment, right? But it was the situation that I was in and that voice kicked in my emotional, those were my heart, my heartstrings. That's my daughter right there, okay? And it was at that moment I knew that I was in a in a life-threatening situation. And that same second, I knew that I did not want my baby to come down and see me in that situation or for her to be in danger. So it was within the same two seconds that I had to that that those two things came together. My situational awareness and my emotional awareness came into play at the same exact time. And I therefore was able to respond. And that was pure adrenaline. Now that is what I call instinctive. Moving forward with this formula, I'll take you through an exercise so you can actually feel it for yourself. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Now, there's positive triggers and negative triggers. Usually when we say triggers, people are automatically think negative. And that's fine because <laughs> usually it is. <laughs> but I also want to bring that friendly reminder that there are positive triggers as well. And the perfect example of that is put on your favorite song. What's, what are you going to do? What do you do right away when you hear your song? Oh, you're moving. Oh, hello. Your body's That's moving. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, and you get this smile and you're like, hey, you know, you're turning up the volume. You're doing something. You're doing many things. Mm-hmm. Now, when it's that mm-hmm. negative trigger, you're, you have a physiological change as well. There's something that your body goes through as well. If it's your eyebrows going up, if it's your eyebrows going down, if it's that lump in your throat, if it's that heaviness in your chest, if it's that swirling in your stomach, that's your emotions. Your emotions reside in your body where you're feeling that trigger. All right? So as soon as you feel that physiological change, you are becoming aware of your emotions. Once you are aware of that emotion, you figure out, look around, what's your situation? What's the environment? Who are you with? What is going on? What is your intention? That's the biggest question that you ask yourself after you assess your environment, your situation. You ask yourself, what 
is my end goal here? Because the second that you are able to recognize that you are having a response, that you are being triggered, you are empowered at that very moment to control how you respond opposed to how you re would normally react. Big difference. Mm. Big difference. Reacting yeah. is knee-jerk non-thinking. Responding has thought. And I'm going to make it a little funny for you. The Incredible Hulk <laughs> is what every person knows. The Incredible She-Hulk is not what every person knows. And the Incredible She-Hulk has been around since the 1980s. The Incredible She-Hulk is smarter and stronger than the Hulk. And they are superheroes that have superhuman powers. They are triggered by their environment. They are triggered by their emotions. They turn into monsters that they do not like because they become destructive. And what they'll do is they'll retreat in order to avoid. Right? It's amazing. I love Yes. And I'm not even a Marvel fan. I could, I never had time to even get into all that stuff, obviously, because of my life. And I just started <laughs> learning about the Incredible She-Hulk a couple years ago. And that's also where Be Your Incredible Self comes from. Not only because you, everybody wants to be a better version of themselves. Everybody wants to level up in some area, whether it's mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, whatever. You want to leave that legacy behind with your loved ones. And we have strength that is incredible that can come out of nowhere at any given time when it's warranted. Look, do the research and look up the woman that lifted the car off of a child. Okay. It's real. Mm -hmm. We have it. It's instinctive. I keep going back to that. So the be your incredible self formula is something that I, I teach. It's a whole class because not everybody has situational awareness. You know, it is something that has to be taught at times. For me, I had to have situational awareness growing up as a little girl. I've almost been kidnapped. I've been groped. I've, I've gone through a lot, especially in, in the neighborhood, you know? So having situational awareness is very instinctive to me and something that can easily be taught. Emotional awareness, it takes a little bit more because for people that have gone through so much trauma, they are more guarded than they are vulnerable. And I teach how to be vulnerable and safe at the same time. And that comes along with trust. People ask me, well, how do you trust again after going through such a, you know, experience? How do you, how do you, what are those steps? And I simply say, it starts with yourself. You're not worried about who can you trust and how do you go about trusting them? You're worried about, are you trusting your judgment again? Are you trusting your vulnerability again? Yeah. Right? It's just I, like looking toward bringing, I love that you keep bringing it back towards yourself. Yeah. You know, I want to, I want to pause here for just a minute, Agape, and, and I want to make sure that my listeners who I'm sure they have been just riveted to everything that you've shared today, because you, you've accomplished so much and you have like legit street cred. I mean, you have been there. <laughs> I mean, besides just born into it, I mean, you were there before you were even born and everything that you've experienced, I want to make sure that the people that are listening 
know where to go if they want more of you. They want more of what you have to share. They want more of your wisdom. They want more of your training. So tell us where they need to go. And I will make sure that I put all of that in show notes. So if there's somebody listening out there and you're like driving your car, you can't write stuff down, that's okay. It's going to be in the show notes. I'm going to, I'm going to have it posted there. So where do you want them to go for them to get more of you and what you have to share? Beyourincrediblesself.com is my website. Be Your Incredible Self is my Facebook. Be Your Incredible Self is my Instagram. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> I'm new to social. Yeah, I'm new to social media because I've been off the grid 25 years because I needed to provide and protect. So that was a choice for me to stay off of social media. So I'm not, you're not going to find Understand? a lot of stuff because it's fairly new to me. But I have my kids' blessings because they're older now. And they believe that my story and my passion and mission will help so many others. And that is why I am here. Um, I believe my purpose and my life was spared to definitely provide this type of conversation, story, and testimony because the statistics show one out of three women, one out of seven men have been exposed to or experienced domestic violence, which comes in so many forms to include narcissism and the blanket of self-doubts that wrap around us, the identity issues that we have with who we are afterwards. You're not alone. We all go through it. It's natural. It's normal. And I'm here to tell you that it's okay and that you don't have to try to deal with everything by yourself. There's a community of us. We come together and we build each other up. It's about moving forward and ahead because you can you can have what you deserve, but you have to believe it. Yes, that is awesome. And it's so helpful, like you were saying earlier, to be able to connect with someone that you know has been there, that trauma and try to be able to grow and, and work with each other. So we're kind of having to wrap up today for the, the podcast. Um, Agape, do you have any last little tidbit you want to share or do you feel like we pretty much kind of covered what we could cover today in this podcast i know i'm excited for my listeners to go to your website because you clearly have so much to offer that it can't really be contained in a podcast all i can do <laughs> I with this is to kind of i can i can maybe wet the appetites of my listeners to really want more of you and to get more of your story and more of what you have to offer so i'm i'm just going to say Everybody go to beyourincrediblesself.com to get more of Agape Garcia. And it's spelled so, correctly. There's no misspelled words. It's all be your incredible self. And and the one thing that I would like to, well, two things. I want to share that I'm also a certified high performance coach through Brendan Burchard. I believe so much in that man. Um, he has years and years of scientifically backed data for his program. And I am a certified high performance coach. And that is the foundation I use to get momentum in my programs for these, you know, for, for my clients to really catapult them in moving forward because that's the foundation. And then with my experience and wisdom on top of that, they're getting the best that they're going to get anywhere. And this is what I want to leave behind for everybody. The biggest price you'll ever pay is neglecting your mindset. Uh -huh. I agree with that 100%. And as a psychotherapist, obviously, I'm going to be on board with that because that's where this is where we live. We live in our head. We do not live at an address. You do not live in a house. You live in your head. And so that's the best place to, to go and spend to, to try to get it 
where it needs to be. Get that place rehabbed and, and up to where you want it to be, up to code and all that lovely stuff. So, all right. Yeah. Well, Agape Garcia, thank you so much for being willing to spend your time and your effort and your energy to come be with us. Guys, gals listening today, Phoenix and Flame community, Phoenix and Flame listeners, with the things that you've heard today, please share it on your social media platforms, um, share it through texting, share it through email. If you have a friend, if you have a family member, if you have a coworker that you think, oh my gosh, they have got to hear what Agape has to say, then share the link, put the link out there anywhere to, to improve our community so we can pull together and know that we're not alone, that there's people out there that are helping And I just thank you so much, listeners, for spending your time with us today. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.